Come on, church. What? Man, good morning, church. Today is Sunday. What does that mean? It is our fun day for sure. Today has already been a God-awesome morning. Amen? Again, celebrating life change with a light on, celebrating next steps with Jesus through baptism. I don't think it get any better than that. So I'm just going to say a prayer. We're all going to go home. Who said all right? <laughs> Come on, man. Church, we're in the middle of this series called This Is Us. It's a series that we're taking kind of the script from a, a TV show that ended last year called This Is Us. It was a very popular show for about six years, won tons of awards. And then the, really, the reason is because it, what it did in this series is it pulled the curtain back on the realness and the rawness of life of a family. And so we're going to take a little page from their script because what we want to do in this series, we want to pull the curtain back on vertical. We want to be able to show you, our church, our, our members, our guests, our community, what we're all about and why we do what we do. You hear me on that? Yeah. Why we do what we do. We have a lot of what and we do a lot of what. Like we've just done two parades Two weeks, two Saturdays in a row, and people are like, Rich, it is exhaustingly hot out here. But why did we do that? Because we want to step in these communities and tell them that Jesus loved them, invite them to come hear the message of hope. There's always a why behind everything we do. And as a church, when we understand, when we know, believe, and live our why out, that is when true kingdom work is being done. You with me on that? So the process this, to get to understanding our why, for you to grab a hold of it, for you to know it, for you to love and want to live it, we are walking through our core values. Now our core values, are, are there are five of them, they are the working part of our mission. Our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, if we can break, down, break that down, that's the mission for every church. If you go back to Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20, you, Jesus says that himself. Go make disciples of all nations. That is our mission, making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're stepping into this, and when we really start living our core values out, become kind of a part of our lives every day uh, throughout the week, coming on Sundays, we're living these core values out, we are living out our mission. Our mission is being fulfilled. Last week, we kicked this series off by talking about our first core value, that is this, it is found people find people. Found people find people. It means that found people, that people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you were found. There's Luke 15, some scriptures talking about amazing grace, talks about that. I was lost, but now I am found, right? Then we are called to go find people. Our mission as a church is to go tell people about Jesus. What we need to do is have Jesus people go tell people about Jesus. Hear me on that? We need Jesus' people to go tell people about Jesus. That was last week. We threw down the gauntlet. Actually, Jesus threw down the gauntlet, what we're called to do. This week, we're moving to our second core value, and that is this. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Now, I'm going to say save people. You say serve people. Save people. Save people. I'm going to say save people. You say serve people. Save people. Save people. God, I love you guys. Let's get into this. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we're starting at verse, I believe this 34 this morning. 
If you grab the orange Bible on the way in, you will find on page 675, Matthew 22, verse 34. As you get into your Bibles, open up, and I don't know if you're new to church, where the Bibles work up into two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament, as you get there. As we get into this morning in chapter 22, Jesus is in his earthly ministry. He's getting things back. And what's happening is he's getting a lot of pushback for what he's saying, a lot of pushback for what he's proclaiming. He's getting a lot of rejection. And already in his ministry, people are already plotting to kill him. But the whole time this is going down, the whole time he's, people are doing all these things, he's continuing to proclaim the truth. The kingdom of God has come. He's continued to heal people. He has continued to train his disciples to go do and live out this mission, who they are already going to set the foundation of the church. And this morning, as we step into this passage, we're going to see that he's being challenged by the wise guys of, those, of the day, of the first century, the wise guys. You get what I'm saying? All right, let's jump in. Look at verse 34 of chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees. I, I got to stop there. Every time I read this little passage, I want to, like, the Sadducees are talking. I feel, or it's not true, but I feel like Jesus just walked up and said, shh. That was funny. Okay, it wasn't that funny. But anyways, Jesus had just silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees got together. One of them, who was an expert of law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let's just stop right there. We are to love God. Amen, church? I think every one of us in this room would agree with that thing. We are to love God. We know this. We can get this. But I think this is where we start stepping aside. This is where we make our first step of what it means to follow Jesus. Because Jesus didn't say we are to love God, just love God. He says we are to love God with all our heart and with our soul and with all our mind. Not just love him. Love him with our heart, the core of who we are, our soul, the essence of who we are, our mind, what moves us forward of who we are in life. We are to love Jesus with our everything. That means if we're in this room and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, we are to have a sold out love for him. Sold out love. And when we do, when we have a sold-out love for him, it overflows into everything that we do. It overflows into our marriages. When we have a sold-out love for Jesus, it overflows into our parenting. When we have a sold-out love for Jesus, it overflows into our, uh, our classmates, our, our co-workers, our neighbors, our ministry. When we have a sold-out love for Jesus, look what it does. It's like we are willing to overlook the, overlook the offenses of others. When we have a sold-out love for Jesus, we love him with our everything, we are step, we're willing to step into and through uncomfortable situations. When we, when we love God with our everything, we are convicted to love those that others, or maybe we, deem unlovable. When we love God with our everything, we are convicted by our sin. Convicted to the point to actually start making some changes to live differently. When we love God with everything, it changes everything. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. 
When we, give, we receive Jesus, we surrender our lives to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. We have everything we need for our life of godliness, according to 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Everything. We're without excuse to start living for him. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus keeps us going. Look at this in verse 38. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just stop there again. This is the greatest commandment, to love God with your everything, and the second is just like it. It's not like um, when students nowadays, or I hear it a lot, maybe I say it too, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm going to like do this. I'm going to like do that. I'm gonna, it's like uh, I'm going to do And they use like a lot. Pay attention, parents. You hear your kids say like. Is it, are you doing this, or are you going to like do it? I don't understand. What Jesus is saying here is when he says like, it means they're absolutely the same. Absolutely same. We are sold out love for God, loving him with our everything, and he breaks it down like blues clues, says, okay, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same thing. You can't have a sold out love for God and not love your neighbor's. Here, let me just bring it down. Here's the nuts and bolts. We love an invisible God by loving a visible neighbor. Mark that down. We love an invisible God by loving an invis- a visible neighbor. You can't separate the two. You know, as I read through Scripture, I often think that loving our neighbor is going to be on the final exam in our walk with Jesus. Our love for God cannot be carried out without loving others. And if we were to read scripture, church, read your Bible, you would see that Jesus loved others and he is our example. He is our example. Just like Jesus wasn't the only expressing his love, if you read the first four books of the New Testament, he wasn't expressing his love to those who were already following him. He expressed his love for those who are around him. Our love for other people must not be limited to those who are with us, who are like us, but it must expand to all those who are around us. Man, it is really easy to love, well, maybe not. It's really easy to love those who are like us, who believe what we believe. It takes a sold-out love for God and for Jesus to love those who are not like us, who reject Jesus, reject the gospel, but we're called to love them anyways. And if we dig in a little bit deeper, we dig in a little deeper and examine how Jesus loved others, we come to a one simple conclusion. He loved them by serving them. He loved them by serving them. Look at this in Matthew chapter 20. Go back a couple chapters. Look at this. Go back a couple chapters. We go back and we see that there's an argument going on between two brothers and a mom. And they're talking about, listen, listen, can one of my boys have the, the right side and the left side of, with you in the kingdom of heaven? We want them in the place of prominence. And they're arguing about this. And Jesus puts them in their place and saying, listen, listen, you want to be this place. You want a place of greatness. That place of greatness takes place at a place of servanthood. Come on. 
Look at this, Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is our example. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Save people, serve people. In fact, the Greek word for serve or servant is denakonos. And it's used over 103 times in the New Testament expressing the true nature of a follower of Jesus that we are to be servants. We serve others. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we read this verse for a quick couple weeks ago. It says, each of you should, stand, should use whatever gift you have received to what? You say it. To what? Serve. To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Dania was up here earlier talking about giving, right? We are stewards of what God has given us. And we are to use them for his glory. That is so much the same with our gifts that God has given us. We are called to serve other people. Again, if you read the Bible, Bruce said, John 3, 16, God so loved the world no, he gave, he served his son up for us. Yeah. Jesus so loved you while we we're still sinners. He served up his life. Christ died for us, and serving wasn't a silver platter, serving was being nailed to the cross. This afternoon, go home, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. God became man and said, listen, I'm going to set that aside so I, so I can live like a human. I'm going to die this brutal death. So when I die this brutal death, I'm going to have victory. My friends, people I love, come to me, surrender their lives to me. They're going to have this eternal life. That's what Jesus did. He served. And again, if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you see how much Jesus served. He served people by giving bread and fish for over 5,000 people. He served by healing kids, raising people in bed. Jesus served the people. And it wasn't just the people who were following him. It was all the people who were around him, who were arguing, who doubted him. Yeah. Saved people serve people. And if we are called to be like Jesus... We are called to serve people. Then Jesus seals the deal in Matthew 22 with verse 40. Look on the screen or your, or your Bible, your Bible apps. It says, the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. The law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Stop there. What I love about this passage is Jesus is calling out those who were called out, but they failed miserably. See, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were quote-unquote experts of the law. They knew the Old Testament. They were trained. It was called the Mosaic Law, which is the law that Moses wrote. The first five books of your Bible, go read them. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Kick it out. Get into that, right? They knew, they knew this stuff. And this law was given to God's people for them to read, to understand, to know, to memorize. They memorized chunks of scriptures, my friend. Chunks. 
And God gave it to them so that this is what it looks like to live a life that honors me, brings me glory, and knows people that you're walking with me. Then you will be a light to the other nations around you that shows that following me is something different. And Jesus is getting in their face. These guys knew the truth, but they failed to live it. In fact, they not only just failed to live it, they lived it in the opposite direction. Because these Sadducees and these Pharisees, the experts of the law, they didn't want to serve anyone, but they wanted to be served themselves. Multiple times in the gospel, Jesus called these guys out for missing it. In fact, you go one chapter forward in chapter 23, you want a gut check of what it means to follow Jesus. Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And in chapter 23, he calls them out and says, listen, you want a place of honor, make yourself look like you're all that in a bag of chips. You're standing on a street corner. There's a passage where he's saying, you're standing on a street corner, and the guy's praying, I, I forgive me for my sin, and a Pharisee steps up and says, look, hey, I'm, I'm, thank God I'm not like the dude next to me. He's worthless. They didn't want to serve anyone. They want everyone to serve him. Tom Rainer, in his book, I shared this last week, I dropped a couple more copies. He is in a merch store. They're for seven bucks. Uh, in his book, I Am a Church Member, says it this way. Look on the screen. It says, we are not a part of the church to see what we can get out of it. We are a part of the church to serve and care for others. Our perspective should always be on giving, not receiving. Giving, serving, not receiving. If we have been saved by God, if we have the, felt the full expression of his love and sacrifice to his son Jesus Christ, then our life, he's given us life, and we are called to serve others. We are called to serve others around us, our families, our spouses, our classmates. Students, you just started school this week, and some of you are happy, and the rest of you are not like, <laughs> let me just tell you, God's given you the opportunity to serve your classmates. Don't make every conversation about you. Don't make everything about you. Point them to Jesus. Show them what Jesus, following Jesus looks like in the classroom. Show it to your teachers. God's giving you a platform. Don't waste it. Husband, we're to serve our wives. That's not about us. We are called to step in this relationship and, and serve our wives. You know what? Uh, <laughs> she's going to kill me for saying this. But um, about three months ago, I started this thing with Stephanie. We are brushing her teeth. We were going to bed. And, and I walk up to her and say, hey, do you need help brushing your teeth? <laughs> she's not in here for service. And she looked at me, she's like, no, get away from me, you're, you're weird. <laughs> I love being me. We are called to serve. Serve. Be a servant. 
Greatness in Jesus' eyes are those who are following him are serving others, not those who are being served. If we say we love God, then we need to put our serve where our mouth is. You feel me on that? If we say we love God, then we need to put our serve where our mouth is. Now, I'm not sure when it started, but roughly about 20 to 30 years ago, the church started making an unhealthy shift. They, didn't, they did it intentionally, but they failed to look around the corner to see what was going to do to the church. In fact, several years ago, a good friend of mine in Pennsylvania, him and I were sitting together and talking. He had been around ministry all his life because his father was a pastor and, and he's been a pastor for 25 years. And we're sitting and having a conversation talking about what is going on with the church, the state of the church. And we, said, we came to this conclusion and we said, I wonder if the decisions that we are making in church today are creating problems that our children are going to have to fix tomorrow. This was going on. The church went from a, from a staunch members-only club, dress this way, sing this music, read this translation, lower the drawbridge on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., and if you look the right way, live the right way, dress the right way, you can come in. It went from that to what is known as the seeker-sensitive movement. Now, the idea of breaking the mold of high walls to reach people for Jesus was great, but this new model for seeker-sensitive brought its own problems. See, the seeker-sensitive movement geared everything, everything in the church to be done in an exciting and an engaging way for those who are far from God. Phrases like, come as you are, Everyone is welcome, we're born. Worship went, from, went to the next level. We, have, we went to lights and haze and loud guitars and, and drums. It went from small churches with massive steeples to massive buildings with amazing opportunities. The church world became really, really exciting. And trust me, everything I just said, I love. I love the lights, I love the haze, I love the loud drums. I tell the people, when I feel the bass in my chest in the back when we're going on, I think the Spirit is talking to me, all right? But the exciting style of what was being done started to overshadow the why it was being done. The pendulum swung too far in the wrong direction. The church became about, listen, we don't want to offend anyone, so sin wasn't talked about anymore. The preacher got up and he started talking about feel-good messages. That became the core teaching, not the call of conviction of Scripture. Live the way you want. God loves you anyway. Hell may not even be real. The Bible is an extra resource for life. We just want you to come to church and have a good time. And in that process, as that was going on, the pendulum was swinging in the wrong direction, the church became very consumeristic. Consumeristic means it's about me, what I want. How good is our marketing to get people in the door? I didn't come to be served, to serve, I came to be served. Over the last 20, 30 years, 
Studies show that the church has become very biblical illiterate. The scripture wasn't being preached. People weren't told to read their Bibles. The one, one true God of scripture wasn't known, but the God in America's image was. It's my way right away. That's Burger King. It was Bible light. The gospel wasn't preached. It was easy believism. Biblical doctrine became a buffet of what we prefer or what we like, not the foundation of what we believe. Church loyalty and partnership with, and membership was a thing of the past. So when people walk you through the door and something said or unagreeable, they got offended, they would leave your church and go to another church and do the thing all over again. Making disciples was not the mission, but pleasing the crowd was. Listen, I hate that I'm standing here sharing this with all of you. Because it breaks my heart to think about that. Because I love the church. I believe the church is one of God's greatest creations. At the Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, the birth of the church came and it radically changed people's lives, millions and billions and trillions of lives forever. I love the church. So as I'm saying this, don't say that, like, why, Rich, why are you saying all this? Because it's true. And we need to understand, we need to hear this. I love the church, but hear me in this. I love God more. Amen. I love God more. The church is the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. And if we ever love the bride more than the bridegroom, we'll always make the what and the why about the bride, not the bridegroom. Translation, the church is all about Jesus. What he says, what he wants, what he is called to do, not the other way around. And this is what I love about Vertical Church. This is what I love about you, all of you. Over the past few years together, we have been fighting together against this crowd-pleasing mentality to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples here, not people-please and gather crowds. We want to make kingdom difference makers, not country club members. You hear me? Why? Because we believe in the mission of the church. We believe what Jesus said we're called to do. We're going to make more and better disciples. A disciple is not someone who just gets out of hell free card. A disciple says, I'm going to follow him regardless if I like what he's saying to me or not. Then we open up the scripture because we're reading in our Bibles. When Jesus says, you shouldn't be doing this and we're doing this, we're like, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stand here every Sunday. Andrea's going to stand here every Sunday. We're going to preach the word unapologetically because it's God's word. It's the truth. Yeah. 
The church is for us. It's not about us. Save people. You say it. Serve people. And this is why. Point number two. Save people, serve people, so that serve people become saved people. Imagine that. Save people, serve people, so serve people become saved people. Again, verse 40, the law. All the law, the prophets hang on these two commandments. The entire law hangs on the commandments to love God and to love others. And the most practical way that we can love others is to serve them. And the most practical way that we can serve them as the body of Christ is right here in this church. In Jesus, God has gifted you to serve. Gifted you. Ephesians 2.10 makes it very clear that we, we receive spiritual gift, right? This new creation, God-infused, Holy Spirit-driven abilities far above our own natural skill to make a kingdom difference. We are transformed from death to life, Holy Spirit indwelled, gifted newness to do the good work, to serve other people. You are called to serve You are gifted to serve. So let me just ask you, if you're not serving Jesus in this ministry, why? Why are you choosing not to do what Jesus saved you to do? A very common statistic across the country and in churches of America is that 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry work. That's consumeristic at its finest. Friends, that can't be us. If we're ever to see our mission of making more and better disciples come to fruition, not just here, but all across Gibson County, wherever God calls us to go, we need to serve. I want to make sure I'm very clear this morning. This is not a manipulation. I talked about this last week. I'm opening God's word to my family. And I'm praying that God's word inspires you to be different. Serving is not a check the box and moving on. It's not a check the box and moving on. It's about joyfully joyfully showing up on time, early, because you believe God is going to do something amazing every single Sunday. The lives are going to be changed because the word's going to be preached. The Holy Spirit is present, and Jesus changes everything. It's not serving in the kids' ministry one service and walking out the back door. It's serving in the kids' ministry and turn around and coming in the second service and worshiping your Jesus together. Attend one, serve one is a phrase that I've used for years. It's not that we have to serve, but we get to serve. Let me say that again. It's not that we have to serve. We get to serve Jesus and his church. 
And if we can change the mentality of the why we serve in church, then the shackles of the American church are off, and the church is game on, baby. And guess where we start? Right here, right now. This morning, out in the lobby are a bunch of tables. Guess what I'm going to ask you to do? There are a ton of ways that you can step in and serve in this church. If you can smile and be nice, join the greeting team. If you can't, join the safety team. Where's Lyle? We're constantly asking people to join this, the new team we put together, the Vertical Impact Team, where we're stepping in and planning things to reach out to our community and put our fingers in the soil and make a community difference with the gospel for other people in Jesus' name. We just did two parades. Dania and Nikki pulled that whole idea together and then they put an amazing team around them and got it done. We have Best Sunday Ever coming up in just over a month. We're going to try to invite the community in, the whole community. There is something for everyone to serve. There needs to be a day, church. There needs to be a day when churches are no longer begging their body to serve. Running fancy campaigns. Say yes to kids, men. Make a difference in the community. There needs to be a day we are no longer begging for our church people to serve. If we believe in our mission then we want to serve. It needs to be a day we're not begging, but we're celebrating because we have so many people who desire to serve, we have to make up ministries to make it possible. So let me just ask you again. If Jesus, your Lord and Savior, said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others, and we are called to become more like Jesus. And you're not serving. Why? Why? I mean, there has to be a reason. There has to be a reason. And listen, did you overcommit at one time? You're like, I'm serving in 15 different ministries, so you, now you don't serve at all. Well, it's time to get back in the game. Jesus didn't call you to himself and gifted you with his spirit to sit on the sidelines. Is there church hurt in the past? I get that. I've been there, done that. Church hurt's tough. But we're a group of people who are a work in progress, friends. We will say and do things that hurt other people. Good chance you've done it yourself. Just like I have. 
it's time to build that bridge, to come on the other side and make a kingdom difference. Because the church is missing out because you're not stepping in. You're missing out on some of the greatest moments in life with Jesus because you're not stepping in. If you're new with us, that's great. We have places you can serve. If you have been praying, waiting for God to give you a sign or someone to ask you, let me just tell you, here is your sign and I am asking. And I'm sure that I'll have a few people talk to me about this. But if we're here sitting here this morning and refusing to step in and to be a kingdom difference maker by serving others in this church, then maybe we're not the church for you. I don't like saying that, but it could be a reality. There's other places that we can go to consume. That's not here. We're about making disciples and disciples serve. That's who we are. Save people, serve people. We can't get around it. We can't get past it. We can't ignore it. That's what Jesus called to do. And friends, we are a Jesus church. This is who we are. This is us. So what do you say? Shall we walk out those doors? Find some way to step in and make a king difference? 250 people in this room? 300 maybe? 200 next service? Can you imagine if the entire church served? What we could do? Not just this community, but all the communities that God calls us to? So what do you say? Should we go sign up? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, your love for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, which makes everything we talked about and celebrated today possible. Without Jesus, we're still dead in our sin and we're lost. Because Jesus came, lived the perfect life. He died on a cross for our sin, conquered the death three days later. And in our faith in him, surrendering our lives to him, we have this newness of life. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. We are present with you. We'll be with you forever. You served up your son. Your son served up his life. turned around and said, hey, my peeps, I'm calling you to do the same. So God, I pray this morning that you open our heart and our minds to the truth, that whatever has been holding us back, that you'll crush that barrier and we'll be a sold out church. Right now I'm going to call our prayer team forward. And I just shared the gospel in three quick sentences, what it means to accept Jesus and what he has done. If you're here this morning 
and you saw the like one, you heard about Jesus, you saw the next steps with Jesus in baptism, and you're ready to take that next step, I want you to come forward and talk to our prayer team because they want to talk to you. They want to walk you through from threshold, from death to life, and walking in a newness of life with Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you just need prayer. You have things going in life. I said this morning, we are a family. One person celebrates, we all celebrate. One person hurts, we all hurt. Let us walk through that with you. God, we love you. We worship you. And we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.